Hello, and welcome to Decades Podcast Season 2. This is a podcast where three hosts and the occasional guest watch a couple of movies, one from a previous decade all the way back to the 19-teens, and one from the now times. And then we talk about movies, we talk about history, trivia, culture, society, and for Season 2, we get to talk about politics. And now, on to the episode. This whole country just like my flock of sheep. We want to know what you intend to give away to the communists. He will bring destruction to our traditions. He looked in his heart and he thought in all humility how he'd like to try and change things. Rip off this city for a hundred grand? It's a a groovy thing to do. I propose to demand from the House the immediate removal of the President of the United States. Imagine if America was a dictatorship. You could let 1% of the people have all the nation's wealth. You could help your rich friends get richer by cutting their taxes. You could ignore the needs of the poor for health care and education. Your media would appear free, but would secretly be controlled by one person and his family. You could torture foreign prisoners. You could have rigged elections. You could lie about why you go to war. You could fill your prisons with one particular racial group, and no one would complain. You could use the media to scare the people into supporting policies that are against their interests. I know this is hard for you Americans to imagine, but please try. Welcome to Decades Podcast. Hello. Hi. Uh, <laughs> Hi. I'm uh, Deb Kuykendall. I'm Nicole Westry. I'm Jacob Kuykendall. And we have a guest today. I'm James Payne. You're back. Yay. Yes. <laughs> Welcome back, James. Uh, this is our first repeat guest, right? No. What? Yeah. Karen's been in more than one episode. Right, but Karen was the host season one. That's true. That doesn't count. No, I'm not okay. saying to be here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Your first repeat guest that's yes. not a co-host. Uh, so, what did we watch today? We watched... The Dictator, starring Sasha Baron Cohen, and The Great Dictator, starring Charlie Chaplin. Yes, Chaplin. <laughs> Charles Chaplin. Yeah, that's right. Why'd you pick these two crappy movies? <laughs> Only one of them was crappy. <laughs> Average out to crappy. Um, well, they're both about dictators. Oh, yeah. That's very true. Uh, one is a little bit better than the other one. <laughs> we, we, I think we're all in agreement on that. We'll see. I don't want to give any spoilers. I could have, like, a really hot take here about which one's <laughs> actually the good one. <laughs> so, uh, typically we synopsize the older movie first mm-hmm. and the newer movie second. Do we want to stick with that for this I mean, go-round? <laughs> there doesn't seem to be really, like, plot-heavy <laughs> for either of them. For either of them? It might no. just be better to sort of talk about them and... Well, I, I think know. we need to do a brief yeah, synopsis. Yeah, real brief synopsis. Why don't you do The Great Dictator? It starts in 1918, actually, during, I guess, fake World War One. So it's kind of like a parallel universe where all the countries have different names, and, mm-hmm. but all the same events, world events have happened. It's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> <laughs> so it starts in 1918. It's World War I. Um, I assume that those scenes are there to show us the horrors of war or something. It's so horrible. Uh, there's some comical stuff happens. Oh, both of yeah. these movies are, are satirical comedies. I think it's safe to say dark comedies. They're supposed to be. And they're both satires. <laughs> Are these our first comedies? 
Uh, for, uh, I don't know. Power of the Press was kind of funny. Oh, yeah. That was... <laughs> it was... Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it had some, you know, physical comedy in it, at least. I mean, Jennifer's body was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these may be our first straight, straightforward, these are supposed to be comedies. One of these mm-hmm. was not that funny. I, no, wait. Neither of these were funny. Um, <laughs> they were both funny at points. <laughs> yes. So, uh... Charlie Chaplin plays a Jewish barber. He's in the army. Uh, various silly things happen. Mm-hmm. He saves the life of a pilot, and in, but in the process gets a head injury and is in a hospital for many years, probably until 1938 or so. Probably about 20 years. Because, is that how long it's supposed to have passed? Well, oh. it started in 1918, and this Jeez. movie is basically present day for the movie. Yeah, I mean, um, they show the headlines and stuff, right? There's the depression and everything, and mm-hmm. then the part yeah. of the faux Nazi party takes power, so that would have to be mid-30s sometime. I guess so. Right. He and aged also, well. he had gray hair. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, you're right. He's a ghost, and now he's an old man. Yes. Um, so he's been in the hospital for about 20 years. Meanwhile, his barbershop uh, in, in the ghetto has uh, just been empty. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason he's been in the hospital for so long is that he has amnesia. He he doesn't remember what happened after the. I don't think he even remembers the crash. No, and he not can, later. He thinks he's been in the hospital for about two weeks and repeatedly sends letters to the. I guess the landlord of the of the apartment complex, the mm-hmm. courtyard where those people live. I guess so. Um, his barbershop is in a multi multi-family dwelling. Yeah. Uh, in the Jewish ghetto. They're in Tomania. In Tomania. Uh, and there's another country called Bacteria, which that comes more into play later, but they mm-hmm. did mention it for some reason. Yeah, that's um, right. So he leaves the hospital finally after however many years it's been, goes back to his barbershop, doesn't, you know, he thinks he's only been gone for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Everything's all covered with cobwebs. He's very confused. Meanwhile, I mean, before this point we see... <laughs> before this point we see... Um, is his name Adolf Hinkler? A- Adenoid. Adenoid Hinkle. Yeah. <laughs> Adenoid Hinkle is the dictator of Tomania. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lost the war. They lost the war of 1918, apparently. Yeah. Um, and so they have been under their dictatorship ever since. And they lost the war to Austerlitz? Oh, no. Who's no, their opponent? I think, uh, I think it was just supposed to be the Western Allies yeah. was sort of the implication. Okay. Which, if it was World War One, bacteria would have been on the side of the Allies. Because <laughs> I think that, they were fighting it? against bacteria in those that's first what I few thought. scenes. I thought that's right. where they, they first introduced them, but then later it's like, eh, whatever. Well, I mean, maybe the, I think maybe the implication is that Adenoid Hinkle has risen to power for the same reason that Adolf Hitler rose to power, because Germany was... Not doing so good, yeah. and um, they That's were looking for, sure. for leadership, and that was post World War One. They yeah. weren't doing so well, yeah. so that would have been internal, right? He right. rose from in for, as an internal dictator, mm-hmm. and now he's in charge. And now he is in charge, and he they are using the Jews as a um, as a focus to keep people from being concerned, you know, as a focus for the people's anger, so they won't be concerned about the fact that their economy is not doing great. A scapegoat, some yes, might say. A scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Jews are pretty oppressed. They don't have any rights. Uh, they are mm-hmm. frequently uh, abused by the stormtroopers. That's right. In the meanwhile, the barber meets a girl who is also living in the same unit. Mm-hmm. It's Mr. Jekyll's daughter. I, just, I think she's just a tenant. Oh. Yeah. 
She's just a laundry woman. Yeah, she just I think there. both her parents died, and so she couldn't find work. Oh. And he was like, well, I can't I take her I misunderstood that relationship. <laughs> <laughs> he treats her like a daughter. Yeah. Yeah, okay. He's just taking care of her because she doesn't have any parents and can't get work because she's Jewish, I guess. Yeah, and she beats up on stormtroopers. She tries. She loves to beat up stormtroopers. Um, meanwhile, the the pilot that um, the barber, whose name I can't remember, uh, he didn't. He's no yeah, name I think given. he just called. Oh, he doesn't have a name. Even in the credits, he's just the Jewish barber. Ah, so the barber, uh, the pilot that the barber uh, saved, has risen in the ranks of the new dictatorship. So mm-hmm. he is a general, I believe, in that. Schultz. Mm-hmm. Schultz. 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 He's the and only then, one without a stupid name. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so there's the Adenoid Hinkle's two right-hand men, or maybe the right-hand and left-hand man. <laughs> yeah. Are um, Garbage. Garbage. And uh, they sound like they sound like uh, oh herring because yeah, it's herring and herring yeah. Her- and um, girls girls yeah. yeah so it's garbage and herring are the two although you only really see um, garbage I guess you don't see a whole lot of oh no the, the, the big herring's guy, right? the fat guy okay. yeah his belt pops off and he has lots of <laughs> more <laughs> you get to see Adenoid Hinkle give a speech a very Hitler like speech. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? <laughs> so the barber runs into trouble. Well, he, he escapes from the the no, no. Yeah. he's kept in, oh, and goes back and goes back to his uh, the ghetto. And right. he doesn't know any better. Um, so he gets an altercation with the cop with the stormtroopers. Yes. And Hannah saves him, and he sort of halfway gets conscripted into the resistance of sorts. I mean, the, yeah. the middle part of the movie is everyone pretty much just putzing around. Like, <laughs> just hanging out, <laughs> telling jokes, doing whatever. Um, yeah, and then there's... More student stormtroopers come back and try and sort of they're gonna string lynch him, him up. I mean, yeah. that's, they're going to kill him, but yes. the pilot shows up yeah, and saves him. Yeah, Schultz by just in time. Yes, exactly. Recognizes him. And... Which is goes against him, Schultz, later. Uh, he, at some point... They want to get a. Let's see. They want to get alone right. to invade Osterlich before Bacteria does. So they temporarily lay off the Jews so they can get a loan from Jews. Uh, a rich man can call that to <laughs> yeah. uh, Which they do. And then at, at some point they they don't get the loan, and so they decide they're going to rough up the Jews again. Yeah. And I think that's the point where Schultz says, "I don't like this. This isn't a good idea." Mm-hmm. Uh, there, these, you know, whatever. And he gets arrested, and put. Both he and the barber get thrown in jail at the same time because yeah. they are friends. Well, they're thrown in a concentration camp, I think. Yeah. He didn't or... call it a concentration camp. No, he did. Camp. He said, you're going to the concentration camp. Yeah. And that's when Schultz escaped. Oh, and was I, yeah. I was thinking of the, the, uh, the newspaper headline called it a prison. Yes, I'm, a sure. I'm sure it did. <laughs> sure did. <laughs> but earlier they called it a concentration camp. Yes. Um, and I, should, I, I don't know if I, this is the time to point this out, but they did not have... At the time that this movie came out, they did not know what was going on in concentration camps. Sure. Right. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. And that and makes sense. They knew that the Jews were being oppressed, but they did not know the extent of the, yeah. the horror that was going on. I mean, actually, when did the I mean, when did the actual final solution, the, the mass killings, actually start? I, I think My understanding later. was that wasn't until later in the war, so yes. probably, yeah. And this was 1940, I believe? The movie, the, I released? believe production started in 1938. Okay. It yeah. was released in 40. That makes sense. Um, so, yeah, they're both in a prison camp. Uh, meanwhile, Adolf, <laughs> Adnoid <laughs> Hinkle, yeah. is, uh, they're, they're putting together a plot to invade Osterlich. Uh, the leader of Bacteria, Na- Napoloni? 
Is that right? Yes. yes. Uh, shows up. He's got his troops ready to invade Osterlich, and they want to uh, annoyed Hinkle and his and his uh, helpers mm-hmm. uh, want to get to. Th- they're they are. Uh, they want Napoleon's <laughs> army to stand down so that their army can get there and invade Austria right. first. They want dibs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they want army dibs. So they're trying to. Um, the word escapes me. They're trying to get a treaty yes. together that uh, where back the bacteria tre- troops will leave, and then Adenoid Hinkle's troops can come in and mm-hmm. invade. And they they make this a secret. They they want to make it a secret or a surprise. So Adenoid Hinkle goes fishing to make it look like he's not going to invade anything. Mm, okay. In the meanwhile, he sees a duck and shoots it and falls out of his boat. I missed a little bit of this and, part, too. And at the too. same meanwhile... At the, at the same time, yeah. <laughs> Barber and Schultz have escaped from the concentration camp and have stolen um, uniforms of the soldiers, so they look like... Uh, what's the name of the countries? Oh, uh, Z- uh, Right, and I neglected to say at any point that Adenoid <laughs> Hinkle and the Barber are identical. Yes, that's oh, yes. <laughs> probably an important point. <laughs> that yes. is important um, because they, because Adnoid Hinkle is out uh, duck hunting, they mistake the yeah they prince and the bopper each other. Right, it's just a guy swimming through the river, so the cops think, oh, he's this guy that's escaped. Nobody really ever remarks on the fact that they look alike I know, until right they're mistaken for each other. So yeah, it's yeah they don't realize it. Um, then, I mean, the, the movie basically is Hinkle goes to jail and we never see him again, is, is my understanding. And then, uh, the barber and Schultz try to escape, but he ends up being stuck into Hinkle's spot and, at, and is forced to give a speech at the end to, uh, the Austrolich people that they have invaded and subjugated. Yeah. And he gives a speech. The end. And he gives a speech... That is not the speech that Adonai Hinkle would have given. <laughs> we assume not. Saying, uh, we should all be, we need democracy and freedom and... Rise up. Fight, off your fight against your oppressors and everybody cheers. And then he makes a sweet speech to Hannah, his, to Hannah mm-hmm. uh, his girlfriend, who has just been beaten down by stormtroopers. Mm-hmm. And then she looks up in the sky and then that's the end of the movie. Yeah. She looks up in the sky and says, can you hear it? Yeah. I didn't hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Is it democracy? I guess so. And that's the great dictator. Yes, and it takes about two hours for those things to happen. There's some really great stuff in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, there's even some, like, Keystone Cops type uh, physical humor, except for the part where they're lynching. Yeah, there's some tonal whiplash, but it's probably accepted. One gets shot. Yeah, well, yeah, towards the end, a man is fighting against a stormtrooper and gets shot in the stomach. Yeah. To death, we assume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you want me to describe the dictators? I, I can take a shot. I conveniently have the, the Wikipedia article. Oh, well, yeah. Well, Wikipedia, so yeah. <laughs> You're welcome to give it a shot. Uh, yeah. Um, so, okay. Dictator uh, is about uh, General Admiral uh, Aladdin, mm-hmm. who is a, uh, I guess, sort of airsats. Muammar Gaddafi. There's sort of a lot of dictator influences in there, but Gaddafi seems to be the main influence. He's the leader of a made-up country called Wadia. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's basically, he's just, I mean, he's awful in every way you could think of a, a awful dictator being awful. He just, yeah. He's capricious. He casually kills people. He's wa- building a nuclear weapons program so he can nuke Israel. It's sort of, 
I, I, a stereotype of a dictator, I guess, if you can call it such a thing. Yeah. He's yeah. very, very dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so the beginning of the movie is this kind of faux documentary of all these these things he's done in the country as, um, and, like, you know, setting up a fake Olympics so that he can win every medal, that sort of stuff, all, all mm-hmm. glorifying him and, and his power. Um, so the, the he's facing a lot of pressure from the rest of the world about his nuclear weapons program. So he uh, is supposed to go to New York, um, to give a speech to the UN um, mm-hmm. to sort of head off the crisis. Uh, accompanying him is his uncle, played by Ben Kingsley of uh, Tamir, yeah. um, who was supposed to be the the heir to the throne when they, when his uh, uh, Aladdin's father died, um, but power was passed to Aladdin instead. So Tamir is very sort of in the background resentful of that. Um, so in New York, uh, Tamir hires a hitman, played by John C. Riley, mm-hmm. who, who kidnaps Aladdin, um, uh, intending to kill him so that they can replace Aladdin with a body double who will give the speech in his place. Twins bring, in both movies. <laughs> bring democracy to, to Wadia um, well, democracy s- as a cover for Tamir selling the country's oil rights to, to corporations or whatever. Um, so the plot to kill Aladdin fails and he escapes. Um, but is now clothless. His beard has been cut off, so nobody recognizes him, and he's in <laughs> New York City where he knows nobody. Yeah. So he wanders around, tries to get back into the UN. They won't let him, and he meets uh, Anna Ferris, who's a protester. I think her name is Zoe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, uh, who works at some like Green Earth like collective? Co-op. Yeah, co-op um, yeah. in downtown. They're catering the UN event, which is weird because she was protesting it. That seems like yeah, it makes no sense. Well, no, no, no. She was she was protesting when he was supposed to give the speech at first. Then when it comes out, because the the fake dictator gives the mm-hmm. speech saying that he's gonna sign a constitution, that's when they're gonna throw the second event that she gets hired to cater. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Seems like kind of small. This seems like kind of a big event for this. For the small to, one. To, to cater, but sure, whatever. So, in. So Aladdin just is like wandering around New York City, I guess, trying to figure out what to do, and he ends up in a part of town where a lot of Wadian exiled dissidents live. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ends up in a restaurant called like the Death to Aladdin Restaurant or something. Yeah, that's right. Um, entirely staffed by people who want to kill him. Um, Why do they want to kill him? Well, because they are all the people that he's had executed over the years. It's just he never actually executed anybody because his executioner was part of the resistance and was secretly twirling them out of the country. Now, for one of these people in the restaurant <laughs> is, is uh, Nadal, played by the amazing Jason Manzukas. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, and I- ironically, I spent most of this movie wondering, how did this get made? <laughs> uh, yeah, they should do one on this movie with him. <laughs> but um, he is... He protects Aladdin for some reason. For reasons the, very unclear. His character motivation is not he, consistent. I, I guess he just really wanted to finish that nuke so he could yeah. kill all the Israelis, right? I, that must yeah, be his that motivation, seems right? Like the, where they end up with it by the end of the movie when they're like, "Uh, you did it." So that, that's our secondary hero's uh, motivation um, for this movie, and they they plot to get. Uh, Aladdin back into the UN so he can replace his double and stop the plot to turn uh, the country into a democracy. Yes, but actually a bad democracy. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's the undercurrent. For he doesn't movie. care about that part. He just wants, it's it's weird. Yeah. And so uh, to do this, he gets a job at Anna Faris's co-op. Yeah. Like for how little happens in this movie, this is very complicated. <laughs> um, 
and so that because they're catering the event so that he can he can get in sure stuff happens at this at this point the movie completely stalls for like 45 <laughs> minutes for some reason yeah um and, and so the the problem is the co-op is like failing so he he basically takes it over and with ruthless dictator efficiency i get even though he's not actually good at this so right. that also doesn't make sense turns it around and now it's now it's running like clockwork um and he's There's got an, but something else happens too so they have a competitor that's like a whole foods, whole foods or yeah. whatever <laughs> it's called and the they, green they uh, they bring it they bring down whole foods because mm-hmm. whole foods was going to do the it's not whole foods it's, no, it's called else, the green but, something <laughs> yeah. um but anyway they were going to cater the event after yeah, they have a competitor who's briefly right. introduced, then crushed, then right. crushed. Right. and then so forgotten was, about. Right. So that enables them to cater the event again. They had lost catering rights due Whatever. to an accident. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it's an unnecessary detour, yeah. but so is the whole There's thing. There's a conflict introduced and then destroyed. Total plot cul-de-sac, yeah. The, um, but in, in the meantime, they fall in love. Yeah, Aww. that that's happening. Um, and so... <laughs> Basically, yeah. He, I mean, they they go with the plan that they had. They they break into the the UN. Um, they get the the double out of there. He's just told to leave. I guess he jumped out the window. There's this, he's, he's, not just very sort of, he's just either. sort of ushered off stage left. And, but the and double, yeah, he's not very smart. He thinks his job is to die instead of Aladdin, and mm-hmm. they they never like clear that up for him that he is now the. He doesn't realize he's being. Used. He doesn't realize he's a pawn. You don't need to explain for this movie because they don't explain. <laughs> no, it's but, just yeah. like okay. But that's why he jumps out the window. Yeah, he survives. Yes, which is he shows up weird. later again. Yeah, so Al- so Aladdin goes and gives the speech, and he he rips uh, up the constitution. He ripped up the constitution that they were writing for democracy and says that Wadia will remain a dictatorship, um, and that uh, Ben Ben Kingsley has betrayed him and is a traitor. Yes, um, and has uh, guards just appear to arrest him. In the middle of the U.S. assembly, sure. sure. As they do. Um, and then Ben Kingsley uh, pulls a gun off one of the guards and tries to kill Aladdin, but Aladdin is saved because the body double who got back in the building somehow <laughs> that uh, jumps in front of the bullet and, and survives because he's so dumb being shot in the head doesn't kill him. Ha ha. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a joke. Um, and that that wraps it up. And no, then no, 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 no. Because then he sees Anna Ferris and he decides, well, well, actually, it's not a dictatorship. It's a new We're kind of free democracy. elections. Right, right. But they don't. He just has <laughs> tanks scare people into voting for him. So yeah. basically nothing's changed. And, and then he marries Anna Faris. Finds out she's Jewish. Has her... Fake. It seems like executed, yeah, but, then but then she's... Then fine. Might have one more scene. Yeah. I don't know. Because it's hilarious. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Boy. Yeah. Yeah, really. Oh it's, it's, a, it's a cautionary tale about why you leave uh, improv comedy to people who are good at it. <laughs> yeah. I guess so. There are a lot, a lot, a lot of funny comedians in this movie who deserve way better than uh, being. Ka- in this Catherine movie. Hans in this movie. Do you know how bad something has to be for me to hate a movie with Catherine right. Hans in it? I was very. I I looked on IMDb. John C. Riley is uncredited in this movie, <laughs> which I was think like, is you know hilarious. What? I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, yeah, it, it's not good. Not at all. And I don't know. Did anybody like it? No. no? I, I laughed at a couple times. There were some jokes that made me laugh, but in a. I can't even hour. remember them. Yeah. I but I know I was like, eh. Like I, I, I literally sat during the movie and every next scene I was like, how is this worse than the last scene? She's like burying her eyes in the armrest. It's, She's, it's, yeah. It spirals into worse and worse and worse. Air quote just, I could talk for hours about how much I did not like this movie. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's yeah, at what point do we do that, Mom? <laughs> you tell us when we're afraid we should probably trash bring it. bring it back to the subject at hand, right? Well, I mean, this normally we don't do it this way. <laughs> sure. We talk about the old movie first, uh-huh. and there's some trivia yeah. and what and history and such. Yeah. And then we talk about the new movie, and but it seems... Did you read any books about this movie? <laughs> <laughs> what I read about this movie, um, I decided to write a, read about Sasha Baron Cohen. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think part of the reason this movie... well. It's not why this movie is bad, but it's part of why we... So he made three movies before this, and they were of varying degrees of goodness. But I they mean, I thought all, they were all funny. They and they, But they were all based on a, uh, a, show speci- a specific thing that he does, which mm-hmm. is Im- immerse himself in a character and then go out and be that person and talk to real people mm-hmm. and yeah. expose, expose their biases. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, by, that's right. Right. That, that's what was the magic of those movies. And this movie doesn't have that. It doesn't have that uh, platform. He's no, not right. showing us what people are really like. He's telling us what he thinks people are like, which is completely different. Mm-hmm. And to be funny at that requires a different type of... Well, it requires gotta, jokes. Know, requires something. Yeah, it's got to be like a more critical eye versus just bad stereotype joke after bad stereotype. It right. feels like this didn't have a script ever and yeah. a very loose plot and he was mm-hmm. like, I know a lot of funny people. If we just do enough improv, the movie will I, write itself. I would bet that was literally how the movie was made. Yes. <laughs> and it doesn't. I was surprised by how like disinterested he seems in a lot of it. Or like the movie makers seem to be in some of these scenes because a lot of them, it's like they hit the plot point in the scene he says something that is like almost a punchline and then mm-hmm. the scene just moves exactly. on. That's like, what? It's like they didn't even want to do that scene and it's just like, uh, then he meets that guy. Okay, what happens next? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was like it didn't have a goal. Didn't have a purpose for I, any of this. Except maybe the speech at the end. Yeah. That was kind of funny. I was like, there was actually a good idea for a movie here that mm-hmm. somebody else could have made or at least conceptually yeah. was all right. But and it just nothing. I, yeah, he had lost all of his goodwill that I could have given him at that yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was tuned out. I was like, when it gets to like the point, I'm like, this, you've, you've sat me through all this awful comedy, and now you're going to like preach to me? Uh, yeah, that's right. You, you missed your shot. What I thought was interesting, there were two things in this movie that, I'm not saying I liked them, mm-hmm. but, but they uh, drew my interest for bad reasons. Sure. One, one was the speech at the end, because mm-hmm. when he started talking about how terrible democracy was he was really saying it it was ironic he was really saying yeah. all the good things about democracy or you know whatever the, but the the sad part was the things that he was he was saying is all the things that we have going on right now that we that are dangerous for us sure Right, he was he was saying you don't want a democracy. It'd be better if you had a dictatorship, and then sort because of, of all these reasons. started talking about all the things that a dictatorship does. But they are they're describing all, you, the current state of the right. Country. They're all happening right now. You, well, it's it kind of felt. I have to imagine that the Baron, insofar as this movie was written, <laughs> it was uh, yeah. done so with an eye towards uh, doing a riff on on the great dictator. Like the parallels oh, sure. are obvious. Um, but it almost feels like he's attempting to rebut the great dictator if you take into account the speech at the end. So I, I don't think we. Um, so the Charlie Chaplin, um, the the barber in the guise of Hinkle at the end of the Great Dictator, uh, gives his big speech and he talks a lot about. Uh, it's it's a pretty long speech. He um, he's, he talks a lot about uh, uh, 
greed and power corrupting the world. Um, mm -hmm. People people don't want to be this way. People people want to to help each other and be good to one another. And these greedy, powerful men, these dictators, have corrupted them and turned them against one another. The, yeah. the people are good. Dictators are the problem that have corrupted that. At the end of the dictator, he gives a speech where he bas he, he he says, um, uh, you know, oh hey, uh, Amer America, um, what why you know, if you had a dictator, you could you know, oh the rich could could hoard all the wealth and you could you could oppress minorities, yada yada, yada social problems that exist in America today. <laughs> so. What he seems to, what they seem to be saying is dictators are not the problem. People are the problem because your system of government won't change these these so underlying social problems. I think well, partly I th it's hard to suss what he meant today. Yeah, because he made that he wrote that speech four years, four ago. years ago, and I bet it doesn't sound the same when we listen to it today for the very reason that. Greedy men are hoarding all the money right now. But they were then too. What, what right. was different? Yeah. Well, I don't think I don't think he was saying quite what you think he's saying. I think he was saying that we take um, what we think democracy is for granted. Like we don't actually have a true democracy in the same way that his government was going to have a fake democracy. That that's basically what we have. We still have a ruling class. We still have the undercurrents of authoritarianism, and you know we ignore it because we call ourselves a democracy. I think that was. The satirical point he was trying to make i like i think mm. that there's i think there's something there i mean one of the problems that i had with the dictator aside from just that it was not a good movie uh is that the other movies and the other like entertainment made by sasha baron cohen are deeply cynical but mm -hmm. i but they are also you know he does a character who trades in all these like racial stereotypes or sexual stereotypes or whatever and he and he will go out in the world and present these and watch as people are basically like that's cool or mm -hmm. like kind of right. plays along with him it's it's a way to be like look people are shitty i mean that is that is one of the through lines not every person but that is like he can play these crazy characters and people are willing to go along with him but one of the things that i thought was really lame in the dictator and you see i it reminded me of like the really worst aspects of like a bad south park episode mm -hmm. is in the movie there's like the autocrats and john c Riley cia got like these characters who play like this there's this like racist powerful crazy man and look at these terrible things they're doing but don't even realize it and then he take you know he's trying to satirize everybody so you've also got anna ferris's character right. but the way that he satirizes her is that she sucks and is lame she's like, a she's a you know self-important liberal who thinks that she knows what's right for the world but doesn't actually have any brains herself and is just more about being preachy than actually like understanding what's going on and i guess really so but bad. it's it, you know the jokes at her expense are like she's fat and ugly yeah, and no, the, and the, it's not good. And there is there is a joke that you can, like, make there. It reminded me of Broad City, where that's basically, like, uh, Elena Glazer's character, who works at a co-op, I think, <laughs> in some of those episodes. But the, the joke there is that she's, like, this selfish, self-centered person, and she doesn't really care. She's doing this as, like, a performance that she works in, like, this liberal co-op. But in the movie, Anna Ferris is just... An Ernest. idiot. Yeah, she's just she's, an yeah. earnest idiot. She's yeah. well-meaning, but really, really dumb and willing to put up with just about anything. And, and the fact like... that she sort of 
crumbles her ideals because she's fallen in love with the dictator at the end. Yeah, it's like, what a what a huge miss in terms of, a sa- like, a satire on her character when you compare that to, like, any other character on the other side who's just like, yeah, they're evil. That's the joke for them. Yeah. I was having a trouble parsing what this movie... How to feel about that movie, The Dictator, watching it as a woman? Yeah. Because the female characters... <laughs> are not terrible. Right. There is the female army of bodyguards. The sex bots. Except for that one woman who just has large breasts. Large, mm-hmm. yeah. lethal breasts, I guess. I mean, very large. There's prostitutes. Megan Fox, for example. Oh, that's right. There's oh, Well, apparently well, all of Hollywood Arnold Schwarzenegger's in the pictures, <laughs> is, too. So it's a prostitute. Ah, uh, well... <laughs> Which I, I thought there was the makings of a funny joke there but because it was that, that. that was the thing. Like you, well, yeah, but there was always a thing of like you know rock bands and stuff going and doing huge shows mm-hmm. for like you know uh, dictators in the Middle East and that's and that sort of thing. And I thought that's where they were, but it's it's sort of but half it, yeah, a joke that doesn't. Yeah, there's like no punchline. They like set up something and then it's like get it. Like everyone she in has Hollywood sex has with a him price. for money. Yeah. Like, right, and the thing that we're supposed to come away from that with ultimately in the end of that scene is that he's lonely. Yeah, they make it. They try and make him sympathetic, which yeah. I kept stopping and being like, "Wait, is he supposed to be the hero now? Because he's not." Yeah, <laughs> I don't think the movie has a hero. That's a part. That's I think part of the he's supposed too. to be, but like the way you do that in a good movie is he like. I mean, you see this in the dicta- the the great dictator. You can have a really like terrible person do a terrible thing, but it also has to be like he can't win, or there has to be someone who like has some consequences to what he says. You know, in in the dictator, he'll say some terrible sexist thing, and then Anna Ferris will be like, "What? Huh?" Yeah. And then the yeah. scene will just move on. Like <laughs> and she's nobody... like, "That's not very nice. You shouldn't say that." And then it doesn't change her opinion of him at, at all. No, it's no, so... or anyone's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think they were trying to sort of, you know, change that by giving him maybe a redemption arc um, through his, you know, actions of endorsing democracy because of his love for Anna Ferris's character. But he, he doesn't have a redemption arc because he doesn't change. He, you know, has like a brief moment of whatever, not clarity, but something. And yeah. then he goes immediately back to his ways where he stalls democracy by forcing people to vote for him. And then, you know, whenever somebody irritates him, like he finds out Anna Ferris is Jewish, then he goes to, makes his little, you know, finger across the throat executor motion. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he just immediately goes back to being the same dictator. So he can't be... A character you root for like no so it was a very a strange strange tone in this movie yeah a lot of this made me wonder how got like how truly how was this made because i looked you know at the end it's got four writers who worked on this and i'm like what did that first draft look like if four people worked on it and this is the weird like well i think it probably mismatch. went like poop joke here <laughs> yeah. naked joke here Women don't shave here. Like he was just like hit, hit uh, he, he just says something racist here, yeah. just because that's always funny. Like right. that seems sleeping with goats joke here. Like just and then improv guys. And it seemed like so many of the jokes were added, like dubbed in later because they would be after the scene is basically wrapping up. There'd be some line as the scene was changing. It's like did they not have a punchline and they just had him come into the studio later and just talk over the back of his head. It felt like it. It, it felt like so they just weird. were like. What else can we say that's funny about this? Let's just keep riffing over and over and over again until we get enough filler, and then we'll end the movie. Man, that guy's career has been on a real downslide. Because after this, then he was uh, he was in Les Miserables, and he was the bad guy in Alice in Wonderland 2. 
And that was it. <laughs> uh, he was in, that he was in that, that spy Todd. movie. I looked that up. That was before this. What was it called? The Brothers Grimsby? I think that's like Mark Strong. Yeah, or Brothers something. Grimsby. I think that was actually good, but I haven't seen it. That was last year. Okay. So that was it. That was his, his most recent movie. Uh, Madagascar. He's been in all of he's those. Been a, he's been a voice. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think just... he's, he's, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of his stuff, but I always thought he was funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in other things that people had actually written down. But yeah, this made me sort of be like, am I wrong? Is he not a funny person? His TV show was really funny. Although part of it was that he would get people on his show and not, who didn't know who he was and mm-hmm. he'd be able to make fun of them. And I don't think you can do that anymore. No. No, he, re- he retired all three of his characters that did that. Yeah. Because I, they were too well known. And I think that's what he's good at. So, I don't know. I really liked him in Sweeney Todd. Yeah, he's a good voice. And he was uh, they, he was originally slated to play Freddie Mercury in the uh, oh. Freddie Mercury movie. Okay. But they, Robbie they separated. They mm-hmm. went to separate ways. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I can't remember who's doing it. Robbie Bobbitt uh, yeah. from Mr. Robot. Yeah. No, well, who knows what's happening with that project now that the director's yeah. been fired and all that. And so. Well, yeah. he's stepped away. <laughs> yeah, right. He's, he's just not on uh, set off, right off, now. off topic, off topic. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, we didn't talk a whole lot about the great dictator from the perspective of, I mean, what, I think it what was. What do you want to talk about? One of the things I, I wanted to talk about was the some some little like trivial details about how these two things are somewhat the same. Like mm-hmm. yeah. Sasha Baron Cohen and Charlie Chaplin were both born in London, about eight miles apart. Hmm. But I suspect that it's a long eight miles because Charlie Chaplin was extremely poor. Yeah. And Sasha Baron Cohen went to private schools and. Well, things may have changed in the last seventy. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Hundred years. Let's yeah, <laughs> see what the difference is here. So um, Charlie Chaplin. Oh, also Sasha Baron Cohen is Jewish. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Chaplin. I'm not going to say he was accused of being Jewish. That's <laughs> the wrong word. Uh, but he was suspected of being Jewish. That's not I a good word was, either. I really. I thought it was just he was. I he, didn't know it was he a was controversy. Not, he was not Jewish. Um, but the I believe the Germans said that he was Jewish huh. and. Uh, the FBI didn't like him very much. They said that his name was a different name, a very Jewish name, but it wasn't. His name is Charlie Chaplin. Hmm. Um, Interesting. There was a point after, I don't know if it was after World War II or during World War II, when they did find out just how bad the situation had been in Germany where he said he was no longer going to deny that he was Jewish Mm -hmm. because he just felt like that was sort of... Too much. Yeah, playing into the hands of the... uh, Oppressors, right? Mm-hmm. And it, because why be embarrassed about it? If right. There's nothing wrong with it. Right. He also said he would not have made the movie had he known how bad it was in Germany. Oh, okay. Literally how bad it was. Yeah, like it's you can't really make light of something when everybody's right. dying yeah, <laughs> in that's horrible, true. horrible ways. Well, yeah, it has a much lighter tone looking back at it than if you had known what was going on. But I thought the, I mean, considering this was made before the we America entered the war, I was like. He has a good point, which yeah. this sucks. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, he's not like the mass killing of the Holocaust or not, there was still a war killing like millions of people. So. Well, but that's what he seemed to rally against in the movie. He was sort of inspiring the soldiers to sort of like, you know, don't fight each other, don't let these men who are in charge tell you to be hateful. You know, it was it was more a rallying cry to sort of love thy neighbor versus don't kill the Jews. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe if he'd known, the ending would have been more like, go get him, boys. <laughs> so well. Uh, 
when the movie was under development, Britain hadn't yet entered the war. They, uh, Churchill was still trying to negotiate for peace mm-hmm. with the Germans. And so they did not want this movie made. Various people just, they didn't want to aggravate the Germans. And so they did not want the movie made, but he just plugged along and uh, went ahead and made it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it's one of the other things. Well, I mean, both movies end with a speech. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can tell that Sasha Baron Cohen was very inspired by <laughs> The Great Dictator when he was yeah. making this. And it's kind of sad because it probably could have been a really great satirical movie that just wasn't <laughs> anything. Yeah. Because um, I do like the idea. I mean, I, this is back when I really did think Charlie Chaplin was a confirmed <laughs> Jewish person. Um, like the, I, I thought it was an interesting idea to have um, Jewish people doing commentary on anti-Semitism, mm-hmm. um, but it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> Not really the the dictator at all. I will say that if you read the IMDb trivia for the dictator, there's some really interesting stuff in there about details and things that he pulled from from real life that are in the movie. None of them are funny. None of them are jokes. But, like, the blue Lamborghinis that he drives in the parade, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's, like, I can't remember who it is, like, Muammar Gaddafi. Gaddafi yeah. No, no, I'm sorry. The, the blue Lamborghini was a, uh, I think it was a Saudi Arabian prince who would drive that around London oh, really? when he was oh, in town. Okay. But there was a lot of that stuff were references to actual people. Like, all, yeah. the, all the medals he wore were actual medals mm. from various countries. That's all interesting stuff. Not funny in any way, but yeah. I was like, there's a funny there's, idea here that yeah. he did. What, what is time to have an attention to detail? Of <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, right exactly. There, there are loose threads of like, oh, you know what we could do? This interesting movie where we comment on X, Y, and Z. And then yeah. they don't. <laughs> well, I mean, there were things I liked about The Dictator, actually. Hmm. Not the movie. <laughs> no, right. Um, I really liked all the covers. That's what I said. Yeah, I the music was good. The music was good. Which um, I think was done by his brother yes. based mm-hmm. on the name. The name of, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, the cinematography was fine. The set design sure. was fine. I liked that it wasn't white actors playing, you know, Middle Eastern people. Yep. Yeah. Oh, uh, I think also we had our first repeat of season two of an actor who appeared in a previous movie that we have watched for this season. Anna so remember, Ferris? It, Anna Ferris was from season one. Yeah. We saw a movie with her. But uh, the guy who plays... Uh, in Charlie Wilson's War, there's a scene where Charlie Wilson is talking to the president of Palestine? Remember, he talks oh, yeah, to, and there's sure. two soldiers on uh, either side of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember <laughs> the actor's name, unfortunately, but one of, this, one of the generals that's, that is beside him mm-hmm. is, also appears in The Dictator. Okay. He, in a very brief scene where a doctor is trying to give new, the results of an HIV test mm-hmm. to a patient... Uh, yeah. He mm. plays the doctor in that scene. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the guy, <laughs> You're like, I recognize him. Yes. The guy, is that um, Asif Bonfi, who's also in this movie? Mm-hmm. He's in this movie, but I don't think but he, he wasn't the doctor. doctor. No. Okay. That was an remember. older guy. It, um, I looked at that the doctor's IMDb, and I should have written down his name because I knew I would not remember. <laughs> um, and he's in all kinds of things mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. but not really as a main character. No. Sure. I'm sure Ben Kingsley will show up in a movie again before we get to the end. <laughs> He's in everything. I, I just think it's kind of interesting. In our first season, uh, we had uh, Todd. I can't remember his first name. He was in Frankenstein from 2015, and he was in, he plays Candyman. Oh, yeah. Uh, I can't remember that actor's name at the um, moment, but yes, right. Candyman from uh, Candyman. That was the only repeat actor we had in season one. Yeah. But now we have Anna Ferris. She's now repeat from Anna season Ferris. one, season two. <laughs> yep. She was in uh, May. May. Yes, is the 
girlfriend. Friend, yes. friend, girlfriend. Um, yeah, I mean, they definitely had similarities between the two movies, and it's funny the like difference in. You get a sense of what Sasha Baron Cohen's opinion of people and society is versus Charlie Chaplin's, and there's some similarities, but also like Sasha Baron Cohen kind of thinks everybody is disgusting, terrible people. It's kind of yeah. the impression I get. There is absolutely no one in that movie who is... Redeeming. He's just a nice person. Yeah, yeah just... likable in any way. The closest one is Anna Faris. I, yeah, I but she's not, like not at all. I like maybe the co-op people who don't have any lines. Which like, <laughs> well, sort of our stereotypes. The guy who owns the restaurant, uh, played by... Oh, um, Fred, Fred Armisen. Armisen. Fred Armisen, yeah. yeah. Weird. Did we... <laughs> yeah, right? Did we mention why the music was... No, 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 no. We should. <laughs> it's all um, Arabic covers of pop music. Of of yeah. music from different yeah from different eras. Yeah, popular pop music. Recognizable. That was fun. Yes. The first one I think was Everybody Hurts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that's fun. It's, it's fun all to genres. see Jason Manzukis in something, even if he really does is not funny in this movie, and it's a terrible. Movie. It would be sad yeah. for him and me. Um, <laughs> yeah but what i thought was interesting because i really did i commented on the music i was like this is all this is the only thing i like is <laughs> these arabic covers except that they have the kelly clarkson song in english for some reason in that scene it's oh, the yeah. only pop song that was in english yeah and i don't know really? why i think it's recognizable enough <laughs> if you, you yeah know. so that was another weird sort of like why would they do this one song in english moment for me I'm trying to think if there's like anything I can say about that movie that I really <laughs> enjoyed or like had some connection with. Like now, when I've seen the Great Dictator, I can see what he was drawing from. Mm-hmm. Even like certain scenes, you know, like the rappelling across the buildings is you know that high wire sort of similarity to when Charlie Chaplin is, you know, hanging off the edge of the roof. And yeah, but when Charlie <laughs> Chaplin does it, it's funny. Right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> but like I see little references there, you know, and like now I see why Anna Faris's love story was sort of crammed in when it was wholly unnecessary otherwise because you know he had a love interest in the great dictator so see little pieces of where he was yeah. going with it it just was so poorly executed it's disappointing mm-hmm. it really is and there's a lot there i think there were opportunities here that were just not executed on. like the the thing with um the thing with the co-op when he sort of he, he need, they need to improve the co-op so they can they can become the caterer for the u.n event again so yeah. his, his strategy for doing that is like ruthless efficiency like he has the sign like shoppers will be prosecuted changes to waterboarded changes to will be kidna- kidnapped in their family you know um and and such and he's got by the end of it he's like it's basically this sort of mini dictatorship um yeah. and and he's got like this big propaganda poster of anna Ferris on the wall and like but then the, but the punchline doesn't come there's no the joke doesn't happen yeah, it no, just sort of it works it's like oh well i guess maybe in co-op businesses they shouldn't be so lenient they should sort of be more ruthless what, what they needed was more like more like anna ferris like benefiting from it without asking questions about how he's doing it that sure, sort of thing that'd be funny maybe yeah. there's a joke there well they did do that actually. yeah i don't she didn't question it at all she came in she saw how great everything was and she was good with it yeah but she, there's I a punchline. Yeah, but there's not, there's not the punchline. There's not yeah, the like, I mean, twist of the really knife to make her, it a satire. Her character more disappointing because it was just her obliviousness like played up. Right. Yeah. So it was. It was. I think maybe it was just it. Just it, everything was a little bit off mark, mm-hmm. right? Because I saw that scene when she comes in, and I had those thoughts. It was like, oh, this is all he's doing. This all against her. You know what her ideas about how how the world should be. 
but she doesn't know that, and so she thinks this is great. It's well, like she sees a she sees she thinks he is yeah. transforming through this, where actually he's just showing what he really is. Um, so I had those thoughts about that scene, but it just didn't really like, stick. But I think James Wright, if there was a scene where Anna Ferris came in and through her obliviousness, then she gave us like a dictator like speech because she, you know the movie's implying like, oh look at this hippie vegan. What an idiot she is. If she would then acted like a dictator in her store, then maybe there's a yeah. joke you can mine from there where she like is so oblivious that she's willing to <laughs> Like a little cult of personality, like she walks in and like the employees are like saluting her and she's like, oh, that's weird. Oh. Huh. But I don't think he wants to play her as a hypocrite. I think he likes playing her as oblivious. That, I know, like, it's... that all, you know. But that's do, not funny. Do a joke there. No, yeah. I know it's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> he, I think he thinks that it's funnier if she's a stereotypical know nothing trying to do good liberal yeah who, you know doesn't have a foundation for their beliefs and is again oblivious to the it's, way things are really working it's so bizarre because she's played as this oblivious know nothing liberal and he's played as this oblivious know nothing dictator and like half the other characters are played as oblivious know nothings yeah uh, nobody knows anything just tamir tamir is the only one who knows anything yeah and he is foiled by basically nothing. Like he just his hubris. He's just there, and then he loses. <laughs> his he's, plan goes off. He's mostly without a head. Ultimately, by the dumbest character, with a body double, who is so dumb you can shoot him in the head and he doesn't die. Yeah, Tamir is foiled by the fact that the dictator just shows up. Well, then, because because the because Tamir's actually the one who yells first. He's an imposter. And all Dean's like, no, he's the, like, I'm the real one, and he set this all up, and everyone just believes him yeah. on the spot. There's <laughs> no like real the conflict over it. Yeah, <laughs> he killed his dad. Okay. Yeah, apparently Tamir's a little bit incompetent because he tries twice to kill him, and both times gets the body. Nobody double. gets anybody killed. The executions are not going well. <laughs> no, no, because remember at the very beginning when they introduce us to the concept of the body double, yeah, and they shoot him coming out of the car, and then. Then, Aladdin is talking to the corpse and doesn't actually process that he's dead because he's so dumb. It's yeah, hilarious. Yeah. And then later, that's when it's revealed that Ben Kingsley's character set up the assassination. It was like, oh, we got the wrong one. Well, like, how do you not know which one's the body double? <laughs> the, the fact that they set Aladdin up as being so dumb at the beginning, and they go through this whole scene. This is one of the other scenes that struck me, but not in a not as intended. Um, is where he's talking about the scientists that he's been listening to, mm -hmm, and they're mm -hmm. all cartoon characters. Yeah. They're all Donald Duck and that Popeye. Yeah, and I, know, I laugh. <laughs> I know, but I couldn't help but think in the back of my mind, oh, that's just like a president who won't read anything and <laughs> yeah. has to have a lot of pictures in yeah. his sure. information. Um, no, that, no, I that, saw it on TV. It's got to be true. It's got to be true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was a guy with the deformity of a duck bill that was backwards <laughs> on his head. <laughs> Um, you know, if the movie had gone down that road a little bit more, but they weren't even consistent about his stupidity. Right? No, not Later, at all. when he takes over the co-op, he does it all perfectly. He's mm -hmm. a very efficient. Yeah. He actually... He, like, recognizes which person would have the correct talents for a different position. You know, he really he's never shown that skill. No. Right. <sighs> and that's also the, the event that makes the Anna Faris character think that he is growing. Yeah. And in... For no any, reason. In any other movie... That would be true. It would have happened at that point in the movie, and you would say, oh, he's taking responsibility, only he's not. Right, because he should be doing it for selfless reasons, like, oh, I've learned that this is important to her, and I care about her. But he's not. He's doing it because he wants them to get the catering job back. Right. <laughs> the they, way to do that is to 
make the co-op better. And there's a scene later where he almost kills himself, and it's so bizarrely out of character. No, I no, was like, yeah. what is going on well, no, here? he wants the attention, because he, you know, texted Jason Mencikas sure, seven he's times like, telling him to I'm so him sad, the and then he's like, be a dictator. Okay. I'm inspired again. Yeah. I, yeah. Where, where, where's well, he was only turn? sad because he had told Anna Faris's character who he really was, and she had rejected him. Yeah. I don't know. It's not Because he loves her so much, or doesn't, or... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, you can see the dictator character as is an equal like that is just the similar character to Ali G or Borat or Bruno. This like horrible stereotype character with all these terrible beliefs. That if he was out in the real world talking to real people, somebody would be playing the straight man, and it might mm-hmm. be funny. But this is a fictional story, so none of that actually like yeah. none of that plays out. Borat is also, like, is practically the same character. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you put him in a room with somebody who doesn't know he's a character, then, like, something funny can happen. <laughs> but that's not going to happen in a movie where the other character is just as bad and they just bounce off each other. Yeah, like, he, I think they tried to do that in the um, helicopter tour scene where they're sort of, for some reason, scouting out the UN from the skies yeah. for no reason. Um, and they start talking to each other and... Whatever the language it's is. It's Hebrew, according to IMDb, where it's but, one of those trivia things. But like, I think it's ah. like Wadinian or whatever. Um, yeah. And they're talking about his 9-11 Porsche, but the you know white Midwestern couple who's sitting across from them in the helicopter just hears what sounds like Arabic and then the words 9-11 over and over again and then yeah. 2012 and freak out and call the cops and they get arrested. Well, because it, but like the joke doesn't work no, no. at all. <laughs> because it sounds like they're plotting terrorism. Right, because like it's not that like these people are so racist and they saw uh, two brown-looking people and assumed they were terrorists. They keep saying they 9-11 <laughs> and making blow-up sounds, and they are evil people. Yeah. So, like, what's the joke? But the joke like, is, I think <laughs> this joke was supposed to play at the expense of the white middle Western yeah, couple being racist. so missed. But, like, yeah, it didn't go anywhere. And there's the point where he opens up his, like, patriotic, you know, American flag jumpsuit to reveal what looks like a bomb strapped to his chest, and then they don't explain what that was supposed to be. And this is not 30 seconds after after Sasha Baron Cohen and Jason Manzoukas have a conversation about how important it is to, like, keep... Be understated. Be, be uh, understated and keep a low profile. And like, then after the scene, I was like, they're going to get arrested by the police, yeah. and they'll do, like, a satire on Gitmo or Trey. Right. And then instead and then, the no. police are like... We'll let you go. Yeah, no, I was like, what the hell is this? Anna Ferris immediately. Bails him out and does her... And like, he has a fake name. Yeah, no. And she, that was that. That <laughs> it was, was funny, funny but it's also like, oh, this is where it's gonna. she's going to find out who he really is because the police will know. They just release this guy's identity they can't prove. And it's like, yeah, like... Yeah, and she starts lecturing him in her, like, I, I studied women's literature and I know what's right, sort of... Again, liberal, like, feminist parody, and it's awful. Oh, it's yeah. so bad. And that didn't make sense either, because that's the point where he starts to fall in love with her, the point yeah. where, the where she's She challenges authority, right. which is the opposite of his character. I, I don't... Honestly, this is, and this is probably way, I'm giving this movie way too much credit, I thought that he really enjoyed that she was pointing her finger at the guy, because he really oh, likes like using he. his finger. <laughs> <laughs> like, he likes... Hey, we'll go with it. We'll go, it. Yeah, that's fine. Because <laughs> otherwise it doesn't make any sense. None of it makes sense. None of the motivation make sense it's just complete nonsense for like 15 minutes and then none of the jokes land it's like what was what was that it doesn't change the story at all no no her character didn't need to be in the movie he could have just been sort of you know picked up by the the refugees from his country and they had the catering company and like he got in that way like the love story was really just again like 
forced in there. That idea would make more sense why they're catering the uh, right. Wendy Inn event. See, I could have written this movie. <laughs> but, you know, and I think it's a little, it's kind of interesting that we watch two movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One, arguably a masterpiece. <laughs> one, a piece of garbage. Yeah. And we're spending all our time talking about a piece of garbage. Yeah. I mean, I like The Great Dictator. It was too long. But there were truly lots of funny, funny parts. Stuff. Yeah, there, the, the scene with the world balloon is pretty extraordinary really that, yes that um that was i'm sorry did you have more to... that was all i was <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> no, I agree. I mean, it's very good it speaks, it speaks a lot to his character my major criticism of the movie it feels like all like it's just a sort of um exercise so he can give the big speech to the world mm-hmm. he wants to give at the end like that was probably charlie chapman's whole reason for making the movie i would imagine well to give the speech about yes probably the speech was controversial then and continues to be controversial because it feels like it's a break away from the character. It's oh, Charlie, oh yeah, uh, duh, yeah, it's Charlie Chaplin yeah. speaking as opposed to the character. That's the most charming thing about it. He like he doesn't he doesn't have any opinion on anything that's going. He just but wants it, to go along to get along, and then all of a sudden he like he he was in, his character was inspired by you know Schultz telling him to give you know this is our chance for hope you know, and he sort of was like hmm that's I don't know it's not consistent with his character at all, but like they sort of at least tried to explain why he suddenly was eloquent after being bumbling. For so long, it is. It, the speech is is admired. I mean, if you go to YouTube, there's just everybody has copied that speech and it's put it up there. Songs, it gets yeah. Yeah, I, I was gonna say probably my only, I guess my criticism of the Great Day, my only real criticism aside from just that it feels long, is that there's two to- different stories here. One about Hinkle and one about the Jewish barber, and. The Jewish barber story jumps between comedy and like real depressing, depressing <laughs> Holocaust. It's like an episode of MASH. Like... <laughs> right, back and forth. And then the Hinkle stuff is all goofy. But the two, as it jumps back and forth, it's really hard, I think, to keep. To, for me, it was hard to just jump back and forth tonally. Yeah, especially because, I mean, the dictator is just, we're told he's ruthless, but he doesn't necessarily do anything actually ruthless. Like, it's his left-hand man who's more sort of inspiring the evil plots yeah. for him. It's almost like he's too stupid to be evil. And then same with the, um, you know, Italian guy from uh, Bacteria, oh, who's, who's supposed to be Mussolini, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. um, He's also supposed to be dumb and bumbling. Like, all dictators in this movie are just dumb as opposed to actual evil men. And it sort of was sort of a weird way to play that. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Well, maybe because it's a comedy because they're both comedies. Yeah. And so if you had a... I mean, I'm sure you could make a comedy with a really ruthless dictator. Yeah, um, yeah the dictator. <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? It was hilarious. <laughs> but he also was dumb. Yeah. yeah. I, I was, What came to mind was Dr. Evil. Sure. Dr. Evil? Yeah, Dr. Yeah. Evil from, from Austin the, Powers. Yeah. He really was evil. He did a lot of evil things. Yeah. But that's, goofy, that's the but... problem is that then there's no... There's the question of culpability, you know? Like, the uh, if, if a dictator is bad because he's stupid then like there's a redeeming quality to him as opposed to somebody who's making an active decision to do evil things that's what a lot of dictators are it's very evil it seems to me more like they are saying if you're if you're an evil dictator you must be dumb which is not true to life right i mean i don't mind mocking dictators and making them feel bad about themselves but it felt like two different movies you know you've got to carefully thread that if, yeah. if, if the movie's going to say, I've got the solution to the problem of dictators, then I think you need to appropriately <laughs> de- 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 portray <laughs> them as, what the as sinister. Is. Yeah, yeah. 
Like, because it's like, you know, like, the, the country will just fall apart under Hinkle's leadership. Like, how can they be, how they, how they can be like a ruthless fascist machine if they're this bumbling, you know? Yeah. I mean, as much as I didn't like the di- the dictator, I was not pining for a second plot line starring Fred Armisen about no. what it was like living <laughs> under the Wadian dictatorship. There was no part you of know, me that was like, <laughs> that's what this movie's missing. The interview did that a little better. The Seth Rogen, James mm, Franco yeah. movie where they go to North Korea. Um but that, I mean, not much. But that better, wasn't but, about but like a, the, the the dictator wasn't like the main character in that. I mean, he's in it a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a comedy about a dictatorship. Yeah. You know? that, I mean, that was the problem I had. The only real problem I had with the Great Dictator is I was like, here's this goofy, dumbass dictator, and then we cut to the Jews being attacked in the ghetto, and I was like, ooh, okay, this is this is not like the character of the Jewish barber where he's kind of a goof. But he is definitely being he, like he's being oppressed. You can see why the evils in the world are affecting him. I mean, they're Whereas, all afraid of the stormtroopers, and they rightly should be. But the like, and up until they shoot somebody, the most menacing thing they did was like throw tomatoes yeah. at Hannah and like paint the word Jew on all the businesses. But even they were kind of bumbling themselves. Mm-hmm. Like it just, I don't know. it's hard to do what is one of the most serious things and comedy back and forth yeah. unless you're really careful and i actually thought the stuff with the jewish barber hit that on the mark but when they would jump to hinkle and it was like what's he doing with napolini those scenes felt extraneous because like there's a food fight they yeah, had a literal like, food fight. this is a funny scene but like there's a whole other plot line that i'm more invested in it, it seems like it seems to be saying like uh, these these wars these international conflicts are just like petty stupid men bickering mm-hmm. is I guess the point but like that that really seems like an oversimplification yeah. of the underlying problems. No, they they all all of them play on the ego of the dictator being sort of yeah. a driving force versus their actual hatred of another race or of uh, democracy kind of, or something. That's kind know? of thing like the the um in the, in the the great dictator it's like. People are just sheep, I guess, because they'll just, there's no, everybody will just be fine once he gives a speech at the end, is the, is the implication of the movie. Like, yeah. none of these soldiers have any real culpability, they're just doing what they're told. Like, is that, is Chaplin saying that qualifies as an excuse? And it's weird. I mean, he didn't know really what was going on, I guess. Yeah, so I maybe think that's he often was too, optimistic. But, yeah. Well, it's yeah, weird that that final scene is in Austerlitz, because he gives that speech and it's like, well, okay, they, they've turned around, but I'm not sure if that crowd... The crowd is at least somewhat conquered people, right? Mm-hmm. They're probably ready to, yeah, to have someone tell them, like... I don't think the Austrians in real life... <laughs> due to, I mean, due to a lot of stuff spread in the 20s and 30s, the sort of spread of those intellectual ideas and, um, and just sort of the general... I mean, the image that, that the Nazis wanted to present to the world was, was that, you know, the... the the failures of the old order and capitalism that had resulted in, in the World War and the Great Depression were going to be solved by the unity brought about by sure. fascism, the people united under a single cohesive vision represented in the Fuhrer. And so there were obviously some people in the countries that, that uh, uh, Germany annexed to which were also suffering under the Depression, which was still ongoing at the time, that like, hmm, but maybe there's something to this idea, you know? So sure. I think, yeah, he, he, he probably could have... I don't um, know specifically historically, but there probably—I mean, there would have been a lot of people sympathetic to the Nazis in in Austria or in. Yeah, but he, I mean, he gives a speech, and they're like, 
Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, again, yeah. So, like, they were expecting to hear a speech about how we're going to unite the world under fascism or whatever and, like, take everybody over. But instead he gives a speech about how dictators and fascism are bad and everybody should be peaceful. And they were apparently just going to go wild for whatever he said. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's it's uh, well, that scene from The Simpsons where the politician is giving a speech and they, they, uh, the crowd alternates between booing him yeah. and yeah. applauding him. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, as a film, I, if it's a really well done film, I think. Yeah. Um, it's funny, and I have to sort of remove myself from how much of his comedic influence has, you know, pervaded all the films that I'm familiar with, sure. and go and think like, oh, he was probably the first person to do this side gag, or you know, treat this sort of this way. And it's it's so fascinating to watch the like the his sort of physical comedy and his his bumblingness and how graceful he is and his footwork and things like that. It's really, I thought, cool to watch. But what's weird is um, you, seeing those seeing those influences, it still feels like fresh watching mm-hmm. like this movie. It's not the sort of thing where it's like, oh, that's such an old joke. But, you know, maybe this was before it was known as such an old right. joke, so it was fresh to them, but it's still old to me. It, it felt like the fresh, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, compare The Dictator, right. <laughs> where every joke, like... First of all, like they thought that that he gets a fake name from seeing some sign in the background thing was funny the first time, and then just did it like five more times. I mean, I laughed at that. My <laughs> problem with that scene is that they, he does the joke where he's like, "My name is Emergency Exit." Yeah. And then they cut to a sign that says it, so you'd be like, yeah, like "Oh, he read oh, that." Weird. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, like, surprise! Yeah. Like, you don't, yeah. like, you don't need to show me. I get the joke. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. I read the New York Times review of the movie. Um, that they wrote when it came out and they called they pulled on that scene specifically <laughs> about how unfunny it was for him to make up a make up a name based on a sign he's looking at and then show the sign and then do that same right. set of events over and over again. Don't show the sign. I don't need to know. I <laughs> get it. And I'm like I get Sasha Baron Cohen think, you know, has a poor view of a lot of people, but like me too. Like do you think <laughs> yeah. I needed to see the sign to get the joke cuz I got the joke. I think one of the things that I find, I mean, this is my depressing thought for these two movies. Um, one of the things I find a little buck wild about the speech at the end of The Great Dictator and, and The Dictator is right now, in current events, there is a swell of like neo-Nazi white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And in The Dictator, in The Great Dictator, you're seeing this from the ni- late 1930s where it's like, where, where James is right, where the where the sort of the historical precedent for this is like Germany is economically depressed, and one of the ways we're go- you know that is is being presented as the way to get through this is some sort of like racial unity, and then at the end of the Great Dictator, he gives the speech where it's like, guys, you're being oppressed by the people in charge. We need to be peaceful and poke band together, and he's speaking to what are probably like the masses but also these soldiers but nowadays we're dealing with a similar like sort of racial resentment but i can't imagine any sort of speech of unity would make any it would even make any sense because the the resentment and the the sort of racial animus isn't being held together by something as simple as like well, you're economically depressed and we're going to blame this racial group for depressing you like there are elements of that but there would be no, there's no 
solution or anything that I think would be palatable well, at all. Are you are you trying to argue that it would have worked in the 30s? It wouldn't work in either in either case. No, I, I don't think it would have worked in the 30s. But the the idea that that would like the idea that this speech he gives to the the viewers would be like here's what's really important. Like nowadays, that same speech would would be considered like too goofy i think i think it would appeal to the people that it would appeal to it's that it's you know preaching to the choir people who already are of a mind that this that what is wrong is wrong are going to be moved by a speech made a well-made speech that says what's going on right now is dangerous and wrong and we should all join together and fight against it i think that could work now as well as in the past but it's only going to work for people who are already of a mind to accept that message mm-hmm. I guess the part that, and maybe this is misguided, is that I would think if you were in the 1930s and you were a German citizen, there's this, you know, somebody's giving you a speech like, well, if we just purify our country and kill all the Jews, and then we, you know, that'll clean up our country, and then we'll invade another one, and we'll take what they've got, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll reinvigorate ourselves. But I think that what, we've, what we're seeing in the U.S. and, and this, the, our sort of racial uh alt-right movement uh is even less clear than that there's like a well if we just clean up our country from jews and hispanics and everybody and then that's it like there's there's never i've I've never got the impression that the next step is then we'll invade another country and that'll bring money there's just like you just do this and then something will happen that'll solve all these problems we're we're dealing with so you're saying the message of those who are sort of the message of the nazis and the white supremacists and the white uh whatever the other word is sure um is not clear it's it's not even the message it's like the goals it's it is to me i see i see the current like white supremacist movement or, or these related movements as almost more like nostalgic than anything i was listening to uh majority 54 it's a podcast and he was talking to a man who lives on the border where the border wall would be built yeah and he kind of said he he, he agreed with you yeah. that basically that the that these messages are not meant to actually solve any problems they're meant to get a movement going but the actual something else will happen later right that it's not going to help us economically in fact that every the steps that they've taken so far to keep migrants from coming over the border have actually harmed our economy and increased the drug trade as opposed to helping our economy and decreasing the drug trade because the only people who can come across the border now are people with tens of thousands of dollars and a lot of equipment which means drug dealers well i think that We've probably, well, no, no, now I'm being, I'm being optimistic. Um, I think there was an idea, and there still is an idea, that if we just explain coherently or sort of reason with um, the other, that we can sort of talk to them out of their unreasonable position. You know, if you, if you understand why the white nationalists don't like you know, everyone else, that you can sort of come to some sort of understanding. If we don't talk to them, you know, how are we ever going to find a mutual ground? And there's sure. sort of, there isn't a mutual ground is right. the lesson. You know, when you just irrationally have an other that you're blaming for your issues, there isn't a middle ground other than them going away. And the well, idea that you can give 
some sort of inspirational speech that we're all equal and that you know we're all really in this together and that will convince them somehow to get rid so of their hatred my, my question to you is why did not why didn't we violently purge germany after world war ii well we we went in with weapons we fought a war we didn't sit down with hitler in a oh. room and say let's talk about whether or not the jew why why do you not like the jews hitler tell me about your feelings on them like that's you know what i mean and there's sort of this so you believe you believe that most germans after world war ii harbored anti-semitic sentiments but were cowed into silence by the might of the american and soviet military machines i think that when you when you come from a problem saying the best way to solve this hatred is to reason with the person who has an irrational hate. You you give permission to those who are being oppressed to just wait a minute. That your your oppression is not my priority. Your oppression is sort of, uh, you know, it's just what you got to go through while we get there. Versus, hey, what if we have some sort of more definitive um, measures? Like we legislate civil rights. You know, we give you more power politically and those who have an issue with it will either have to just you know deal with it and their resentment because their resentment's not going away i i want to go back a little bit to something that you said you were you said you can't just give a speech that says we're all equal and i don't remember what the other things were mm -hmm. but i think that is kind of the speeches that were given to them it's just that when they say we they're only talking about White right. Thing. What I mean is the idea, I think Charlie Chaplin had this optimism that if he could just speak to the soldiers and, you know, the, the people in those situations and say, hey, we're all in this together, um, you know, you're fighting against the wrong enemy, that giving the perfect speech would be inspiration enough. But I don't think he was trying tensions. to inspire Germans, actually. He was trying to inspire people who would fight against the Germans. Uh, the speech was, you know, that movie wasn't shown in Germany. Yeah, yeah. They didn't allow it. There were also other countries where it wasn't allowed to be shown because they had large German populations But who's his character there. talking to in that scene? He's talking to all the soldiers well, that are in front of him. But he's really sort of. talking to the audience watching the movie, right. which will be Americans. But so. what I mean is and we, British we still have that same yeah. conversation now where we're like, let's interview... You know, <laughs> Joe Schmo from Appalachia and find out why he's part of the alt-right movement. Like... I'm over that. I don't care <laughs> why the alt-right right. hates blacks and no. Mexicans and Jews and, you know, yeah. feminists. I don't care anymore. I understand. Like, we've done this through history <laughs> and me, you know, me understanding their position. I understand their position. Like, right. I'm not murky on it. What you I'm know? saying is that Charlie Chaplin wasn't trying to talk to the to, to Nazis. He was trying to talk to, say, people who hadn't entered the war against Nazis yet. So, for example, America hadn't entered the war yet. Britain was still trying to... Uh, negotiate for peace with the Germans at the time that he was making this movie. I don't know what France's position was. So, uh, you know, we weren't in the war yet, and we were actively trying to stay out of it. And I think he was trying to engage people to be more, uh, well, yeah, more, more interested in actually opposing this terrible force. That and it's was, it's difficult when it's a world war that you're discussing, and your audience is you know, larger versus sort of this internal struggle we're having right now. Right. And the audience is more focused, um, which makes sense in that context. But we're, the optimism, the idea that there's the perfect sort of reasoning or you just need the right words to get through, um, sort of derails some sort of progress at some point, you know? Like, we don't need to keep having these interviews and these conversations about I why mean, they feel that this seems kind of That seems kind of straw man. -ish. I don't think it is. There's one in the New York Times almost every week. <laughs> like, there's constant profiles on 
you know, on the alt-right. They I just are. I agree with what you're saying, that we don't, we don't try... But that I don't there, care what that guy has to that say. That there are people yeah. that we can't convince and we should stop trying to Correct. maybe understand it's them. It's just, it's a waste of resources. But there are also people who who would agree with us, but they just don't have any passion. And there is a point to making speeches that create passion in people who currently sure. aren't acting in the favor of the things that they, they actually believe. And I think that's a better focus, you know, and and I would like to hear that. That's, I'm just not hearing but, any But you that. have to, I mean, to stop people from, from flocking to such a movement, you do have to understand what makes them go to such a movement in the first place to counteract those forces. That's, I disagree. I think that... You just I kill think them? That the peop- no. But I think that... <laughs> yes. I think I think wasting my time trying to reason with them. I think there there is a certain small minority of people who are predisposed to that direction. Sure. And me reasoning with them isn't going to stop that, you know. And I'm not looking to sort of be their savior. I am looking for the uninspired, for the sort of, you know, I have too much going on in my personal life, you know, to sort of emotionally deal with or concentrate on these things. And I'm sort of, I've removed myself from politics. And or I, or I happen to be among the groups that are not impacted, impacted directly. By, right. And I'm more interested in, in reaching out to those and saying, listen... You might not realize how this affects you now, or you know, you might not have any empathy for this other group. Let's talk about why it should affect you. Like th- those are the people that I think we need to reach out to and have conversations with, not the other ones. Who <laughs> there's always going to be a subset of people who hate other people. There's just there's never going to be a utopia, you know. And so I'm I'm done wasting resources on trying to make a utopia, and I'm more interested in focusing resources on how do we minimize the negative effect of that hateful group that's always going to exist. I think that there's, I mean, one something that, that makes me sad to think about is, you know, with these two movies, The End of the Great Dictator, he, he speaks to the audience. He gives a speech to the audience that's like, here's what you need to do to overthrow fascism. And, we're, you know, we're, we're having a discussion now basically about, like, would that work? Did people listen? Was that good then? Would that be good now? The End of the Dictator, he gives a speech that's like, Here's why the current system you have is terrible. And the movie plays that as like, yeah, that's true. Isn't that funny? I think that's for the same reason, though. I mean... Oh, I think it is, but it, it's that... that Even the idea that you would have a movie end that way is so, like... It's played as almost a joke now. The idea, they, they still... He still has the speech, only instead of about, here's how you can... Here's what you can do to overthrow fascism, whether it works or not. This is a speech like, things are just like a dictatorship, aren't they? Okay, movie over. Right. <laughs> no, but the purpose of of relaying a message like that, the movie doesn't support any kind no, of thing. Right. Um, sure. If if it had been a great movie and ended with that speech, you might have been in a mindset to go, oh, but that's those are all the problems we have now. We should try to fix those. That would be the thing. It'd be like, oh, now I have an op- now I've been made aware of how terrible my system is, I should go out and try to fix it. But I don't see that in movies. Like, I can think, there's like a half dozen movies over the last few years that end with a, here's what's going on, guys, sort of ending. But they all, like, lately they play it as like, here's what's going on. Mm. Like, it's so, he doesn't give a, he doesn't give a, hey, I'm going to step out of character for a moment and give a speech to the audience. He okay. does a, I'm in character being a goofball. I'll give a speech that I assume the writer actually believed. Like, actually, he's trying to say something here, but they're not going to, like, walk out with their heart on their sleeve that much because that would be lame. So let me just kind of, like, couch it in this sort of ironic thing. Yeah. And then the movie just sort of peters out. It is kind of sad that that is not... 
Like, that is not something it's that you a, can it's a more do. more cynical age, I guess. I guess. I mean, even... I haven't seen the new Star Wars, but even the reviews of Star Wars, are, are people are talking about, like, well, it's actually a thinly veiled mark about how the Republicans are bad or whatever. And it's like, okay, if it's, 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 we're, we're, we're getting subtler and subtler. And even still people are like, I don't really want to engage with this. Yeah. It's hard though. It's emotional labor. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it is emotional and labor. And people are taxed, you know? And so yeah. it's, it's hard to just give that sort of inspiration. I don't know. Yeah. But it is sad. It makes me sad. So, before we watched The Great Dictator, we watched a five-minute clip of <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen <laughs> being awarded the uh, Charlie Chaplin Britannia Award. That was in, funny. In 2013. It was great. Uh, that, that five minutes was funnier than all of The Dictator. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there was some good slapstick there. I read... Um... And unpredictable, which, I you know, I kind of kicked myself later thinking like oh of course this is what he did <laughs> but it was a good it was a good joke on the um on the imdb trivia page for the dictator because i read those because they were interesting <laughs> they have two tidbits that are funnier than the whole movie as well which is that when he went to the golden globes or whatever it was he was invited to something he went as his mm-hmm. character mm-hmm. and he ended up talking he had a like a, a urn of ashes he said was i think edia means uh, ashes kim john kim john, kim john Gil. Gil, who had just died <laughs> yeah and he spilled them on ryan seacrest and then was kicked out of and wasn't allowed to go to the show did you watch the clip because no. you can watch that on oh that's YouTube. awesome and that's funnier than that whole movie because again there's somebody who's not in on the joke there. also just the idea of ryan seacrest being <laughs> the butt of any joke is funny sure like that's that's funnier than anything that's going to be on. The, the other thing is he was asked in an interview, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, about uh, trying to film at the UN because that's where they wanted to film those scenes, but they weren't allowed. And, they, and whoever was interviewed him asked him, why couldn't you? And he said, well, I spoke to someone at the UN and they said they have too many dictators in there. So they <laughs> thought it would be in poor taste to have me film there. And then they interviewed somebody at the UN and was like, we, we didn't say that. <laughs> and that's also funnier than anything that happened to that yeah. movie. Look at you, Mom. Uh, You're just frowning at me. <laughs> Am I? Um, what else do we do on this podcast? Uh, we talk about... Well, okay. so... Well, I can what? relate it to current events, what I was sort of... Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 to, yeah. What I was ranting Please about earlier. So, let's talk about the election of Alabama, the Senate election that just oh, happened. yeah. Mr. Um, Doug Jones. Yes. <laughs> Who ran against a alleged pedophile and, you know, sexual abuser... Um, I, I don't want to say alleged anymore. Like, I realize it's still allegations, but there's got to no, be a point yeah. where some number of he's not accusers guy, come forward and we can be like... He's got really racist really, that's, that's, like, not even the word. He's, he's basically just a stereotypically bad GOP villain that was put forth as the candidate for this election. By Steve Bannon. There was, right. a, there was an actual GOP candidate who lost... I mean, lost he wasn't the great either, <laughs> but... Um, and also, when you just think about the population of Alabama, I mean, I think the entire voting population is basically smaller than the size of New York City, right? Isn't that, I think, oh, like 600,000 people turned me. out or something <laughs> like that? Yeah. Yeah, so you have, you have the typical way that um, Democrats have sort of tried to sway things in these, um, in these places, which is how do we get white voters to change their mind or conservative voters to change their mind and come over on these issues. And there are just going to be some people who will not change their minds, you know, that for them, voting for a pedophile was better than voting for someone who's pro-choice. That's just their red line in the sand. 
and they're and it's a waste of time to have a conversation and try and change their mind. And instead, to their credit, the Doug Jones campaign went out and tried to reach out to people who have been sort of ignored or haven't had the ability to go to the polls. You know, they went to poor black neighborhoods, they canvassed in those neighborhoods, and they tried to get them more involved in the political arena. And the voter turnout was 30% higher in those communities than it had ever been, and he won. And that's sort of what I'm trying to say. It's a waste of resources to try and convince people who are just not going to change their mind for whatever reason. And it's a better use of expenditure to trying to create, you know, swing the political pendulum by mobilizing people who otherwise are not engaged. Yeah, I think it's it's crazy because I like some of the things I've read, and I I did not follow this election as closely as <laughs> as you probably did, um, but that the NAACP had spent all an immense amount of resources on mm-hmm. this race far outweighing anything the Democratic Party had done in terms of reaching out to Well, voters. and a lot of that was because people in Alabama don't want Yankees interfering right. with their local politics. Sure. <laughs> so there's only so many ways you can funnel those resources in before there's a backlash. And I, I also think it is terrifying that this was such a close election where you've got Roy Moore, who's a piece of garbage, and Doug Jones, who somehow managed to be a, a like amazing <laughs> candidate. Yeah. If he had been not that great of a candidate... He wouldn't have won even running against somebody who had just a list of horrible traits to drag him behind him. I mean, it, it speaks to a whole a lot of problems we have when this was as close as it was, when there's just... I consider a 1.5% victory a landslide in Alabama. Yeah. Well, in Alabama, yeah. I mean, I mean it is, and again, but it's, it's still because, it's because it still we talk about this as a me. statewide, like, oh my God, he swung the state of Alabama. But again, this was 600,000 people who turned out like it is it's like winning the mayor of new york you know what i mean like so in terms of your focus and how you allocate those resources like you can make large changes with just a few people watching those results i mean knowing that 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 vote was coming up i my fingers were crossed just that it wouldn't be a landslide for roy moore correct that would have been i mean that would just were you guys watching the needle of doom i couldn't do it i I wasn't in fact i was i was at a drag show (laughs) <laughs> and in the middle of the drag show, the main character said, announced that Doug Jones won. I, oh, I still, fun. like, even after it, hit, even after Fox News announced it, I still was like, I'm not sure. I don't yeah. want to jinx anything. I'm yeah. going to wait till the morning to, like, uh, The notification of those Facebook messengers start piling up, and I'm like, yeah. oh, no. <laughs> so we are recording this on December 16th. Has mm-hmm. has Roy Moore conceded yet? Nope. Yeah. No, he's not going to concede. Why would he? I mean, I've got to tell you, I'm fine with him not conceding. I think the longer he stays in the spotlight, the worse it is for the GOP because all of his proclivities are litigated all over again. And it's it's a bad look for them. Yeah. And yeah. Most of them be, didn't want anything to do. Yeah, it would be much <laughs> yeah. more beneficial for them if he would fade away and they could mm-hmm. just forget all about their embracing of him. I'm waiting for his GoFundMe for the recount money yeah. so he can, <laughs> sc- he can scam artists. I'm sure right. Jill Stein yeah. has some left. <laughs> That's yeah. right. I think they can only call for a recount if it's below half a percent. Half a percent, yeah. yeah. I, I read something where I said that if he pays for it, they're going to My understanding was uh, below half a percent triggers an automatic recount. Yeah, that's so what there might want. be other. I think he can sue for another one, yeah. but I don't think he'd be successful. Ah, uh, he should try. Let's just keep going. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, that... Yeah, I, I had been like, whatever happens, I'll just accept it and move on. Mm-hmm. But I feel better now. <laughs> I'm a little happy about it. 
It's not going to help the, the tax I mean, it, bill. Yeah, I was going to say, it didn't last long because the tax bill passed and net neutrality was repealed. And yeah, there's still other stuff My world went back to being on. a dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was, you know, temporarily nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's nicer or it's going to have an effect. I mean, it yeah. truly will. We had a few good yeah. hours there. We'll see if 365 the... days of... I think the next one is what the government might shut down next week. That's the next. We'll see if the budget. TBD. As a as a uh, person observing what's going on in Washington D.C. from afar, who votes primarily Democratic, I hope it shuts down. Yeah, I sure. hope they say we are not going to vote with you unless you give us what we want. When that article came out recently that said. Trump watches four to eight hours of television a day. I went, good. <laughs> Let's sit him down in front of a TV. Can I send him some Oreos and Cheetos to keep him company so that he doesn't do anything? Yeah. Yeah, his diet is insane. Yep. Just even aside from everything else about that guy, the fact that he eats basically nothing but fast food and Diet Coke three meals a day is just insane. Um, here's some trivia that will cast a shadow on uh, Charles Chaplin, I'm, uh, sadly. Um, so he was married four times, three of his four wives. Ah, three oh, of is his, that it? No. <laughs> Gross. Oh, you mean, you mean uh, like the president? <laughs> um, Claudette Colbert was his oldest wife. Okay. She was in her 20s when they married. Uh, his other three wives were teenagers. Oh. One, I believe, was 14 or 15. Oh, God. And pregnant wow. when he married her. With um, his child? Yes. Okay. And he ended Would up Would you having... have watched this movie if you'd done that before we watched it, Nicole? You simmer down now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. That's why my mom's telling us now. Yes. <laughs> you don't have a chance to make that choice. Um, so, you know, he's got some skeletons in his closet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think they covered that in the Robbie, Robert Downey Jr. movie. Which I haven't seen. Had anybody seen the I Chaplin saw it. Movie? I thought like, I saw it a long time ago. I saw it in was the it 90s, good? I believe. So yeah. I don't remember was it good? anything. Did you, did you like it? It was uh, well-received. Wasn't that one of like not the Robert Downey Jr.'s like, comeback sort of story movies? He had like multiple comebacks. I think he <laughs> fell away again after okay. that movie. So I, yeah, I, I think, think so. he's cleaned up like, okay. maybe permanently now. Well, he's got Iron Man money, so he doesn't even need to be clean. Uh, that, <laughs> actually, my understanding from what I've read is he's got a pretty impressive regimen. He actually hires people to follow him around oh, to make right. sure that he that. doesn't, you know. Yeah, Johnny yeah. Depp should try that. Johnny Depp should try a lot of things. Uh, you want to talk about the cocktail? <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, there's a Charlie Chaplin story with this cocktail as well. Yeah. So the Orange Blossom was a popular drink during the Depression. Oh, I'm sorry, not Depression, Prohibition. <laughs> it's mm. basically gin and orange juice. And then uh, the Waldorf had its own special recipe for We call that gin and juice blossom. nowadays? <laughs> <laughs> well, they called it an Orange Blossom. Okay, fair enough. Um, so there's a an infamous story of Charlie Chaplin and I think Fatty Arbuncle and some women. Um, He's the guy who killed some people. He did not kill or rape anyone, actually. Oh, yes. well, true. I'll, I'll tell you about that after this. Um, <laughs> okay. That guy got a bad rap in all likelihood. <laughs> Sounds like. Um, so, Apparently, for me, right now. Although he did do, I mean, he was in Hollywood and it was a little... Crazy. Cool. <laughs> Unlike now. So anyway, Charlie Chaplin had had been told or read somewhere that if you put iodine on your penis, you wouldn't get a sexually transmitted disease. Checks out. Uh, so he and Fatty Arbuncle and these women, I guess, got very drunk on orange blossoms. He went and he dipped his entire penis in iodine. Have you? <laughs> do you know what happens when you with iodine? Have you ever seen it iodine? Burns. 
it burns, but it also dyes your Yellow. skin red. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he came out of the bathroom with his red penis and was chasing the women around. <laughs> but it apparently didn't hurt him, or he's too drunk? They were all very drunk, I believe. Okay. Yes. Cool. Uh, so then I decided to make an orange blossom <laughs> cocktail. <laughs> but a fancy one. It was but not just one. orange juice. Was it just iodine that we... Yeah, there's no iodine <laughs> yeah. in it. Uh, this cocktail has uh, orange juice, orange blossom tea, orange blossom honey, mm-hmm. a little bit of lime juice because it needed something sour, mm-hmm. sure. um, dry curacao, and then I infuse some gin with orange peel. I mean, it tastes like an orange. Oh, and orange and bitters. I don't like gin, and this was fantastic. Yeah. This was yeah. a great drink. I think there were so many flavors other yeah, than the yeah, gin. Yeah, you don't get any gin. Take that, that juniper. <laughs> <laughs> and then I made, I wanted to have an orange blossom floating on top, but I couldn't actually get orange blossoms. Um, so then I tried to figure out how to make an orange blossom, and I ended up making multiple chocolate which I had never done before. Multiple? What does that even Moldable. mean? Moldable. Moldable. Oh, you can mold it. And basically, it's just you yeah. add corn syrup to chocolate, and then it becomes malleable, and oh, you can shape it into things. Okay. Is that like almond bark? Is that somewhere in that same... Uh, I don't know. I think so. Oh, interesting. Okay. So then, and it hardens after you're done molding it, mm-hmm. but you can shape it. So I made orange it's blossoms. Very pretty. And then they... I couldn't get them to float either. They were too heavy. <laughs> so I embedded them in an ice cube. And it worked. And it worked. They totally floated. And they were tasty. Yeah, it was really good. If you like white chocolate. I do. I do. It's pretty good. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what are we... But there's one other thing. So yeah. in the first episode of this season, I said I was going to make sure that we talked about uh, people of color. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. most of the movies we watched, not The Dictator, but... Most, yeah. of, the vast majority of the movies we watch have almost no people of color in them. Right. Yeah. Um, so. I don't think The Great Dictator had it all, right? It did. It had, you know, some Pakistani actors and various. Did it? Yeah. Like the scene in the doctor's office. The Great no, Dictator. No, no, The Great oh, Dictator. Oh, I'm sorry. Not the You're right. Yeah, the Great yeah. Dictator did not have any people any of color. Like, that like I, not even a Well, it takes place butler. in I guess it could have had some extras in the concentration camp or something, but like it seems like it would have been. I mean, just even like in some of the older movies, like there were butlers or you know what I mean? There were sort yeah. of just background characters. In, there was uh, nothing. In, in Gabriel Over the White House, there was like one guy marching and a butler, I believe. Yeah. It seems weird that they would have a black butler at, the, at Hitler's palace, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be honest. But uh, yeah, but, yeah, but the, the dictator had a very a diverse yeah. cast. I don't know how else to put it, except for Anna Faris, really. She's the only real white actor in it. Sasha and, Baron Cohen. And John C. Riley. Yes. And Ben yes, Kingsley. That's right. Well, Ben Kingsley's not white. <laughs> Is he not white? No. He's, he's ambiguous. He's Indian, I believe. No. His, his dad's Indian and his mom's okay. white or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, he played Gandhi. That doesn't yeah, make that doesn't a minion. No, he, he, I looked this up because he was in um, Iron Man 3 yes. playing also a, a guy. Um, no, yeah, no spoilers. <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, uh, but I didn't do that for the last two episodes. Uh, one was the episode on authoritarianism, mm-hmm. and I just didn't think I wanted to look up some authoritarians and talk about them. <laughs> uh, the other one was the loving episode, which didn't need it because both. Yeah, right. That was the whole point. Right. Um, so for this one, I wanted to see if there were other, if there were any uh, people of color that were like big stars at the same time as Charlie Chaplin, mm. and. There was a woman named Anna Mae Wong. She was internationally famous. I, I think what's sad about it that 
Um, and I, the same thing with Paul Robeson. He was an internationally famous star. He was famous worldwide mm -hmm. and in America. That was, it wasn't, but people don't really know about him anymore. And yeah. it's the same for Anna Mae Wong. She was internationally famous uh, from the silent era up through in the 1950s. She was the first Asian, Asian American actor to have her own series on TV. Mm -hmm. What was her TV series? Her TV series uh, was the uh, I can't remember the name of it. It okay. used her it used her given name, which was uh, Wong Yu Song, I believe. Okay. Um, Anime Wong was her stage name. Okay. Uh, what was I, it about? That's why I'm, that's why I'm curious. It was kind of a it was about a Chinese um, detective who owned like a art gallery or something, and she would solve crimes. That could be on um, TV now. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not this season on NBC. Unfortunately, there are no copies of the show because they burned up in a fire. Oh. So you can't have. There was one season of it um, in 1951, and, and it had been picked up for a second season, and then they decided not to go through with the second season. Mm -hmm. And then uh, she died about 10 years later of liver failure from being a Hollywood actress, basically. Okay. So there are, but there are movies out there that she is in. Yes. Uh, I actually have one I can loan to you, which is mm -hmm. Shanghai Express, which is, she co-stars with um, Marlena Dietrich, okay. and she plays a Chinese prostitute. So um, there are some pretty tragic things about her life. Uh, specifically, it was basically impossible for her ever to get married. Mm. And she, of course, she was never allowed to kiss anyone on screen. She could not kiss a white man on screen. So she could be in movies where she was a love interest and the man was in love with her, but she would have to die at the end. Gotcha. Um, and at the same time, the in the Chinese culture, actresses, at that time at least, were considered low. So, so a Chinese man wouldn't have married her either mm. because she was an actress. Um, but it, but she was very wealthy and she became a fashion icon. She mm. she also like Paul Robeson and like a lot of people of color. She went to Europe because she couldn't get good work here, mm -hmm. and so she became really popular in Germany. Oh. And then she also acted on the British stage. Um, sure. So anime Wong, check it out. Okay, I'm a bar that you movie. Wanted us to remind you to talk about Meredith Wilson. Meredith Wilson. Hey, okay, so Meredith. <laughs> yeah. So the. <laughs> The music in The Great Dictator was written by Charlie Chaplin and Meredith Wilson. Charlie Chaplin wrote a lot of the music for his movies. Man, he did everything. He did do everything. Um, but Meredith Wilson is the man who wrote The Music Man. Meredith Wilson is a man? Meredith Wilson uh, is a man. Plot twist, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> He's a man, and he worked with Charlie Chaplin quite a bit because Charlie Chaplin couldn't read or write music. Oh, okay. He, <laughs> oh, wow. That's surprising. <laughs> yeah, okay. we see him play the piano in The Great Dictator as well. Yeah. But apparently he couldn't read music. Huh. He just heard things. He could hear things in his head and then yeah, right. um, he would record them and he would, he had the assistance of Meredith Wilson, I'm assuming for orchestration and some other things. Okay. Hmm. Um, and also uh, the song Smile. Are you familiar with it? It's basically considered Charlie Chaplin's theme song. <laughs> I can... <laughs> la, 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 la. I should be able to sing it. I've been singing it all week, okay. uh, but it's a little embarrassing. I just need a bar so that I know what song you're singing. I can sing the whole thing. It's really short. All right, let's go. Smile though your heart is aching. Smile even though it's breaking. When there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by. If you smile through your fear and sorrow, smile and maybe tomorrow. 
you'll see the sun come shining through for you. Light up your face with gladness. <laughs> Hide every trace of sadness. Although a tear may be ever so near, that's the time you must keep on trying. Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile. Yay! Yay. Wonderful. You didn't write the words, though. <laughs> the My words... mom used to be a singer, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, the words were written in the 50s, mm-hmm. and I think the first person who recorded it with words was Nat King Cole, who had a TV show at the time. Oh, that song is not familiar to me in the really? least. No, oh, not, yeah. a, not a single... Bit of it. Uh, it I was, think I heard uh, it when I was a kid. Michael I Jackson, I think, may have done a cover of it. I don't think I, I think I heard Nat, Cole's Nat King Cole. Version. Oh. Mike, it was Michael Jackson's one of his favorite songs, and oh. it was sung at his funeral by his brother, but Jermaine. Is his name Jermaine or Jermaine? Jermaine. I assume it's Jermaine. Jermaine. Right. He's not from New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, we know but of. it's been covered a lot. Hmm. Never heard it. And it uh, yeah, it was written for enough. I think modern times. Mm-hmm. That's a nice song, Mom. Good for it. Yeah. yeah. Good job, Charlie. That's where I've been singing it to the bird. <laughs> Does she like it? Uh, she doesn't like much of anything. Great <laughs> streets. Another thing that was disappointing to me, <laughs> the dictator, was um, uh, that there wasn't any interaction between two women that wasn't sexual. Like, Anna Ferris's character didn't even talk to anyone in the co-op who was a woman about anything. anything. <laughs> like, yeah. there's just, yeah, it was... There was racially a lot of diversity, but in terms of gender, it was yeah. less than stellar. I was trying, you know, I know that his humor is... Uh, is Body! <laughs> <laughs> but it's also, it's meant to uh, it's meant to make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Which is part of why I was watching it and I was going, am I uncomfortable because I'm supposed to feel uncomfortable? Or am I uncomfortable because he really doesn't like women? And It makes the movie feel dated. Like, it just feel sort of removed from a, a yeah. movie that anybody would go see now. That it would come out and people would immediately be like, mm, and nobody would go <laughs> see it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and it was only five years ago. Like, it just feels like yeah. a whole different time. Well, and it's, it's also the first movie of any of his I think of with a female character in it, because it's normally just him playing a character and then bouncing off other people, some of whom may be women. Uh, maybe he just has never written a female character before because she didn't really have any agency or do a whole lot no and she felt very much like a female character written by a man mm-hmm. yeah but not well no. <laughs> not well written by yeah. a man <laughs> like, but none I mean, of the characters were written well so. and I like Anna Faris that's I the thing I love Anna Faris that's why it was really super good. disappointing yeah you know same with um, what's her name Catherine Catherine Hahn. Hahn, the... yeah mm-hmm. I don't know yeah what a, what a disappointment <laughs> Gary Shandling's in it for like half a second. It's the health inspector. Does he even have it? He doesn't even have any lines. lines. He doesn't say anything. That's the last movie he was in before he died. Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah, that was a nine. No, but he was in um, uh, the Captain America movie. He was, but this was filmed after that. (laughs) This was truly the last movie he was in. (laughs) I know, I know. It's real. It's real sad. It's real brutal all over the place. Yeah, it has an amazing cast across the board. Yeah. Sorry, Gary Shandling. Wow. R.I.P. Hail Hydra. (laughs) 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 So, what are we watching next week? Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm going to pull up the list because I think I know what these movies are. Let's do some plugs. James, would you like to go first as our guest? 
Do you have anything um, you'd like to talk about? You want to plug? No, nothing, nothing really comes to mind for me. I'm sure, sure. Um, my only plug, I'm so upset that I can't remember his name right now. It's a not typical name, but donate to the Senate candidate who's running against Ted Cruz in Texas. Oh, Is yeah. it Iron Stash? No, that's no, Paul Ryan. It's oh. Oberto or something like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Beto There we yeah. go. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, I mean, we there's a small sort of gathering shift in terms of what is movable in conservative areas and after yeah. you know winning the governor's race in some conservative states and now the Alabama Senate I think there are a lot more open seats that were once considered unmovable and if you have the ability or the resources and consider nobody likes Ted Cruz. <laughs> yeah like yeah <laughs> consider donating to his opponent and I have heard Beto O'Rourke uh, he's been interviewed by Cricket Media by on Pod Save America a few times, mm-hmm. uh, maybe once or twice, um, and he's very focused on veterans affairs. That's mm-hmm. kind of been where he's uh, made his name for himself, I guess. He sounds good. Yeah, sure. I mean, you don't you can donate to the Iron Stash, but we don't know who he's running against anymore. That's, yeah, because Paul Ryan's stepping down. Is he? Yeah, he's quitting. He announced his oh, thank God resignation. So who knows what? <laughs> well, he's got his crowning achievement of. You know, taking all the money from social services and giving it to rich people. Yeah, he's so he's done. done. It's just a <laughs> he's accomplished for him. <laughs> <laughs> what is that Kermit like face you're making? <laughs> I'll plug Third Act Saviors as usual. Uh, I don't know when this episode's coming out, actually. Uh, months from now. Months from now. If Yeah, listen to it. Whatever episode <laughs> we just released, go listen to it. It'll be great. Just leave, leave blanks. You just edit in the names of the movies later, right? Yeah. Do that in post. Uh, downsizing, I assume. Oh. <laughs> let's, say, let's say when this comes out, we've watched Downsizing. Is that was... getting bad reviews? No well, idea. But it looks I mean, horrible. Matt Damon basically just tanked his personal reputation, so I wondered if maybe that was a way to distract from how bad the movie is. I mean, Downsizing, the trailer looks really goofy it uh, seems like it could be ter- if it was bad we're but watching like, it. every alexander Payne movie looks really dumb on paper there's kind yeah. of a yeah if it's good then maybe we didn't watch it like, you'll sideways, see sideways is just two guys driving around wine country like who wants to see that oh, i thought it was a hilarious movie yeah that's right really? i only made it halfway through and i was like both of these people are immensely unlikable and i'm gonna stop right now and i never <laughs> picked it back up i like paul giamatti but it wasn't bad as i like paul giamatti too and i like thomas Hayden Church? Yeah, yeah. Sandman. Sandman himself. Um, oh, I know him as Lyle from Wings, so. <laughs> but yeah, I did not enjoy either of them in that movie. Cause... Sandra Oh's had it back when she had a career? Whoa! Ouch. <laughs> she, she had a Roasted. career. Roasted. Yeah. Do you want to plug anything, Mom? No. All right. Yeah, it's, it's All right, what are we watching then? Uh, oh, I'm Next sorry. Time. I thought I said that already. No, we are going to watch... A movie from 1949. Okay. All the King's Men. Ah. And a movie from 2006, All the King's Men. Woo! That is not going to get confusing at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've we've had this problem before. Um, Our second episode of season one, we watched two Frankensteins, Mm -hmm. and we had to, like, make rules about how to identify (laughs) the two movies. These movies, one is a remake of the other, or I believe there's a book, so it's potentially both movies were made from the same book. Mm. Um, The newer movie stars Sean Penn. The older movie stars uh, Robert Robert Crawford. Crawford. Yeah. And I will... uh, Spoiler... One little detail, one of those movies was considered very good and won a lot of Oscars, and the other version was not. 
<laughs> Interesting. Try and guess which one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then we probably have a guest for next episode. You, we do probably have a guest, but I'm not going to say who. Yeah, in case we don't, in case someone else. Well, thanks uh, for coming, James. Yeah, yeah, thank you, James. Thanks for being a guest again. Glad to be here as always. Yeah. Yay. See you we'll next probably, time. We'll probably <laughs> yeah. have you back again. Yeah, <laughs> we got a million episodes this season. <laughs> yeah, we do. Got a lot of movies coming up. I'm super excited for some of them, and it's just it takes so long for them to get here. Mm-hmm. Th- these movies, I think, well, at least one of these movies that we're going to watch <laughs> the next time should be good and interesting. Better than The Dictator, almost certainly. Do you think this is the worst movie we've watched? It's the worst oh, movie I've watched I've in a long ever time. seen, maybe. Like, well, no, Bug was worse, but you still haven't seen Bug. <laughs> I mean, we've seen boring movies. Yeah. Then we watched a few stinkers, but I don't think any of them were as bad no, as like, this. No. This was just like... Oh, maybe... Oh, um, Boxing Helena was worse than The Dictator. I disagree. I couldn't make... Like, that was <laughs> emotionally draining to watch. I just, uh, but it was more uh, thought-provoking. And not, yeah. not in good ways, but, I mean, it was more thought-provoking than The Dictator. Yeah, how did this get made? But also, I'm disgusted by what I'm seeing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, all, all right. right. Yeah, hey, we know. did it. Dictators <laughs> forever. The dictators are done. Bye. Right. Bye. <laughs> See you next time. Goodbye. I'm sorry. But I don't want to be a, an emperor. That's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone if possible. Jew, Gentile, black man, white. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate, has goose-stepped us into misery and bloodshed. We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. The aeroplane and the radio have brought us closer together. The very nature of these inventions cries out for the goodness in men, cries out for universal brotherhood, for the unity of us all. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world. Millions of despairing men, women, and little children. Victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed. The bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die. And the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. You have the love of humanity in your hearts. You don't hate. Only the unloved hate, the unloved and the unnatural. 
Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power. The power to create machines, the power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world, a decent world that will give men a chance to work, that will give youth a future and old age a security. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us fight to free the world, to do away with national barriers, to do away with greed, with hate and intolerance. Let us fight for a world of reason. A world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite! <laughs>